Hey everybody, Amna here. Welcome to another episode of Uncomfortable. Today with me in the studio is Antonio Lucio, the Chief Marketing and Communications Officer at HP Inc. That is the CMO. You basically control all the messaging coming out of HP. I do. Thank you for being here today. Great to be here with you. The topic we're going to talk about more than anything else today is diversity, something a lot of people talk about, a lot of people hear about. You are one of the loudest and most powerful voices, I think, talking about this today, especially from the inside of corporate America. And I want to talk about all of that. But first, something we like to do here is hear about our guests. We like to know where you come from, what you're all about, how you grew up. So tell me about you. Well, I was born in Cali, Spain, uh, a small city in the outermost southern part of Spain, close to the Strait of Gibraltar. Mm-hmm. I, I um, lived there until I was about seven years old. Uh, my father was Spaniard, my mother Puerto Rican. So when I was seven, we, uh, we went to Puerto Rico. And during my childhood, we went back and forth between Cadiz and San Juan twice. Um, then we stayed in Puerto Rico. I, um, I went to high school there. Then I went to school here in the United States. I graduated from Louisiana State University in history. And, um, and then I started working for Procter & Gamble, which is what started my, uh, my marketing career. So take me back to when you were a kid. Were you an only child? What were you like oh, as a kid? Was what eldest, was important in your house? I was the eldest of five uh, kids. Um, very um, strong, traditional Catholic uh, household, which means that uh, going to church and uh, being rather obedient to the father were uh, very strong, very strong uh, principles. I, I think I've had uh, about 20 years of therapy to get rid of that joke. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard of that. I've heard of that going around. But you're the eldest of five. Yes. So was there pressure to kind of set the example, to, to lead the charge, to be the one that sort of sets the tone for the rest of the family? Uh, d- yes. Um, I was the, the first one, and I was the first male, and I had my father's name, Antonio, as, as, as he did. Uh, my father had always dreams of being a lawyer, uh, he ended up being a merchant marine, so he tried to uh, ensure that his son will carry uh, will carry uh, that that legacy. Ah, uh, he um, wanted you to be a lawyer. He wanted me to be a lawyer, uh, and, and 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 again, it, it was sort of um, in his mind. Um, you could be one of uh, four things: you could be an engineer, you could be a doctor, you could be a lawyer, or you could be a priest. Um, when By the he, way, those are the same across a lot of immigrant uh, families, except for the priest part. Yeah. Like. <laughs> well, in my case, I like girls a lot, so the priest thing was not going to work very well. Okay. I couldn't deal with blood, so medicine was not. I was not great in math, so <laughs> law was the only thing that I was going to uh, follow uh, in 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 his um, in in his book. Right. Then, uh, so after I graduated um, college, I, I went back to Puerto Rico and I was working at Procter and Gamble uh, in the, in the in the during the daytime, and I was attending law school at night. Then there was a, one of those political strikes that normally happened in many countries in Latin America mm-hmm. that closed the university for about eleven months, and that was the end of my my law days. I fell in love with a marketing career, and my father never forgave me for really for it. yes he was unhappy with your decision completely i, I remember um <laughs> I, I i went to him and i said well dad i i found a job i said well it's good that you have a job and um the job is with procter and gamble he said procter and gamble 
what do they do? I said, well, you know, they sell detergents and toilet paper and toothpaste and all that type of stuff. And uh, and I said, and I'm, I've got a job in the marketing department. And he said, marketing, what 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 is marketing? Hmm. And I go, well, you know, it's the science that controls the flow of goods and services from the producer to the consumer. And he was like, wait, 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 wait. Do you sell? And I said, well, I, I sell ideas. He said, you don't sell. And then he goes like, do you make the product? And I said, well, actually, I create the brief through research to make, you don't make the product. He said, do you create the commercials? And I said, well, not really. He said, you don't create the commercials, you don't produce, you don't sell, what in the hell do you do? <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I, and with a very thick accent, what in the hell do you do? And, uh, <laughs> so what did you say? I, 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 I don't, I, I, I gave up, I spent the, the, the the rest of my 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 life trying to show him what I did and I remember at one point in time I had an, an an international assignment in Mexico and when you're an expat you have a nice house and you have people that cater the house and which you normally do not have in the United States right. so he came to my house to visit and he goes son I still don't know what the hell do you do but you're doing very well <laughs> Is that as close as you got to your father's approval? Uh, yes, I think that yeah. was the the close that I got. Yeah, at the end at the at, at the end of his days, he probably uh, ended up being very proud of me. But but it took him a very long time. <laughs> I'm sure, that's a story a lot of people can relate to, though. But why why marketing though? What was it about this job, this line of work? And I like how you described it as the science of the flow there. But how 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 did that pull you in? Okay, so um, it, it pulled me it. it, it pulled me in slowly um, th- again and uh, the things that you have in your head uh, the the combination between uh, what what you are uh, uh, and, 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 and 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 the education that you received as a kid and and what you're trying to to do and to be as an independent man right. uh, for the first I would tell you uh, honestly that for the first 10 years um, I was doing marketing i was learning the craft i was becoming very good at it but i was not i didn't have enough time to really think through whether this is something that i wanted to do or not right this was the uh, this was the 80s i mean i I graduated in 1981 it was in the middle of a recession we were lucky to have a job and i was lucky to have a very good job in a great company so i was sort of during my first 10 years of my career i was just focus on what I had in front of me, learning my skill as I had. I, I wasn't thinking very much, am I happy, not happy? Is this something that I want to do or not? I still had in the back of my mind, uh, because of, 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 of the conversations with my father, the idea that I had some unfinished business. I didn't finish law school, so I had some unfinished business. Right. Over time, though, you, you become much more comfortable in your own skin, and you say, actually, I love what I do. And what I liked about it was um, I, I, I liked the combination of, uh, of arts and science. So uh, 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 a good marketer is, um, has a very strong analytical mind and, and tries to get as much data and information about his, his target or, or her target group as, as, as he can and, and, and try to translate that through synthesis into insights. And then th- then the then the creative side takes over. How do we use these insights to connect with, with, with our customers? And I, I, I did not take, other than uh, economic courses, mm-hmm. which I found intellectually stimulating, I did not take any business course in, uh, in, in university. So for me, this was, uh, 
it was it was fascinating. It was real learning on the job. It was real learning on the job, and I started working at PNG. PNG firmly believed in on the job, on the job training. Yeah, and I was paid to learn. So you've you mentioned you started at PNG. You've worked over a number of really large multinationals, American corporations. So you've been at um, PepsiCo, at Kraft, you were part of the leadership at Visa, you are now at HP. This conversation I wanted to have around diversity was because you were one of, as I mentioned before, one of the loudest voices saying, this is something that we as businesses need to do. So I'm curious over the course of that career, as you're learning on the job and you're figuring out what you want to do and, and you're working your way up to the leadership ranks, when did you start to look around you and say, this is a problem that we need to address. I realized that it, that it was a problem when I came to the U.S. And I tell you why. I was I was lucky and blessed that I developed my career in the international business. Yeah. Uh, in the international business, you're all different. You know, uh, you you have people from different accents, the different colors. We had a problem with women. There was a lot of men at the time in 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 marketing. I mean, the problem there wasn't enough. Wasn't women. enough women yeah. at, at at the time. Again, back 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 in the eighties when I started my career. But the whole notion of uh, having a, a group of diverse people, uh, people that have different points of view, that are approaching things from different, sometimes even different values, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and that that going that is going to translate to better outcomes in terms of more innovation just just plain better solutions was something that i had from the very beginning um and i thought that that was normal uh the moment that i that the moment that i began to work um here in the united states is that i began to see um the problem to the point that i can with a lot of certainty would tell you that if i had developed my career within the United States as opposed to within the international divisions of the companies that you mentioned, PepsiCo and, 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 and Kraft. And, yeah. and I don't think I would be where I am. Really? I, am, I, I, I came from a very different school. Yeah. I came from, the, from, from a, a, a state university from the South um, with a very strong accent uh, and a very different point of view. And I speak with my hands, and I tend to be incredibly passionate when I'm... I, 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 I would have been a very different uh, person than the type of organizations that were uh, brewing in, in the domestic divisions. Since by the time I switched to the domestic business, I was already a very senior leader with proven... Right global marketing credentials. Um, so you're also empowered to come in and be able to speak your mind more freely that, because you've already made it to that rank. That's right. right. And but this is fascinating to me. You're saying that if you think if you came up through the American ranks, that you probably wouldn't have held up diversity, which is one of the sort of core values to America. You probably wouldn't have held it up to be as important as you do now. I don't know if I would say that. I, I, what, I, what I said was that I don't think that I would have been as successful. I Just in your career in my career I would not be as successful in my career mm. um, the the moment then that you become part of um, a senior leadership team and um, when you're part of the executive leadership team of a company you basically own culture because it starts at the top um, that's when you begin to th- th- that's when you begin to notice that's when you begin to worry I, I also have um, daughters coming up uh, through the ranks uh, five very strong uh, well-educated Latino women. Um, 
So it's a, it's never one thing. It's a combination. It's a combination of uh, of factors. Um, so at HP in particular, tell me about what you stepped into when you join. You're in a senior leadership position. Uh, you have the role. You have uh, the seat at the table, as it were. How, was that conversation about? Who are we? Who makes up our company? Was that already underway, or did you introduce some ideas that hadn't been there before? I was um, blessed by the decision that I made to join HP. So uh, after I had um, a, a very successful run at, at Visa, I had to make a decision whether I wanted to stay and sail for the last chapter of my, of my professional career or mm-hmm. whether I wanted to start something new. And I, I made the decision. I like uh, constant uh, reinvention and, and 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 rejuvenation through change. So I I I, I said, okay, I I want to have one more corporate run, and mm. I need to, but I need to find the the right place. I and and the right place needed to have the right culture, and I needed to be completely in sync with the senior management team. Uh, it has to be a category that I have not worked before, and I was looking for a turnaround opportunity, as opposed to managing growth, which is what I had done at Visa. Yeah. And um, when I came in, I saw a, a company that had a, an, a, a unique opportunity. My CEO, who's Australian, again, another international guy, mm-hmm. um, who developed his career in China, um, Asia, several countries in Europe, and now in the United States, he's f- fundamentally he fundamentally believes that the only way to drive innovation is through diverse teams. And he had, as we as the company was split, uh, he had an amazing opportunity. There was a board of directors that were twelve people. Six went to one company. Six went to the other, which meant that he had the opportunity that most CEOs don't have to handpick six directors. His entire board. No, fifty percent oh, wow. of the board. Fifty yeah. percent of the board handpick. Yeah. And he made a commitment at that point in time that we were going to have the most diverse board in tech. So today, 40% of our board are women, mm-hmm. and 45, I think, are people of color. Which is not the norm. It's not the Particularly norm Particularly not in tech. It's not, it's not the norm. So it, the, this um, purpose happens when you're able to align your personal values with the values of the organization that you work. Yeah. And since you and I spend more time at our work than with our families, having the right environment where you can fully express who you are is incredibly important and 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 for me being able to come to hp Mm -hmm. under these circumstances at this historical moment was really important so the moment that i said you know um we don't have i don't have a very diverse senior leadership marketing team yeah so 60% of my marketers, we have about 1,000 marketers around the world. About 60% are women. At the management le- manager level, about 52% are women. Senior management level, meaning the 10 people that reporting to me, there's at the top, it was only two. Two. Um, so for, it took, took me 12 months through, you, you, don't, you don't have empty chairs, so it's not like you. Right. We had to do an assessment of capabilities and who's ready to, to, to fill in the capability gaps that we needed to do from an organizational standpoint, from a business priority standpoint. And then over that period of time, we were able to achieve a 50-50. Not because we wanted to achieve a 50-50, but because the 50% that are women were the best 
that I, the best in the business that I could find, both so, internally and externally. Let me ask you this. So you walked into a situation which a lot of people would consider ideal, right? You've got support for this idea from the very top, which is yes. probably the one opinion that matters more than anything Absolutely. else. But there had to be people who thought, we don't need to be doing this. This isn't a great idea. How do you convince them that this is a good idea? It's something you need to do. So um, by focusing on the things that I could control. So if the, let's say that um, not all, all when you have a company like ours with 52,000 people, not everybody's going to say, okay, the, the CEO has this value. We're going to go and everybody's going to translate into a plan of action. Right. I, was, I focus on what I could control. What I could control was my team and all the advertising agencies that work for us. Right. So what we said said the first thing that I did is said I, I cannot I, I cannot stand up in front of the advertising industry and ask them to diversify if I'm if if I don't have a diversified team. Yeah. So we did ours first. As I said it took us about twelve months. And then after that we gave a challenge to um our, our agencies. And these are some of the world best agencies, BBDO, um Edelman's in the case of uh, of public relations, uh, Gyro in the case of B2B, Fred and Farid, which is an international agency. These are and, all the heavy hitters. I mean, these, these are, are all the, the big names. These are all the big names. So, so what do you say to them? So I brought them in and I, I, I said, uh, I brought the CEOs. This is uh, j just like I mentioned at HP, change starts at the top. Um, and I, I even brought in uh, the um, the CEO of Omnicom, John Wren, because we have several Omnicom agencies that work with us. And I said, guys, um, for HP, this is a business imperative. We fundamentally believe that if we have diverse teams that, repre that represents the communities that we serve, mm -hmm. we're going to have better output. Um, so I am going to give you guys the same 12 months that I had. I want you to set your own goals. We're going to create a scorecard, a very simple scorecard that says percent of women in our, again, our account. Right. I, I can only control what I can control. Right. Percent of women in our account, percent of women in management role, percent of women in senior roles, and the same thing for people of color. And was it, oh, so for both, for both for gender diversity and, 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 peop and okay. people of, co people of color de de define as, you know, African-American, right. Latino, Indian, uh, 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 and Asian. So uh, you're basically uh, issuing an ultimatum to but, all your partners. Yeah, but again, but what, what, what's interesting about this is the reaction that I got was incredibly positive. Really? Yes, he said, you know, uh, uh, John Wren, the head of, uh, of Omnicom and even uh, uh, Andrew Robertson of BBDO said, you know, we have been pushing the agenda of diversity. Now that we have clients demanding it from from us, it's going to help accelerate the pace of change. So they were. So they needed you, yeah. as the ones who pay their bills or part of their bills, yes. at least, to no. be able to say, "We are asking this of you." That's right. Otherwise, it wasn't going to happen. Uh, otherwise, well, it, it was going to happen or slower. Much more slowly. So, the, so the first thing is, they, we created a scorecard. Right. And what and does the scorecard look like? Number of women, number yeah. of women in management and senior management, and the same thing for people of color. Okay. And then you, so you start. What is your base today? In our account right. for HP, and they have a year to get these changes done. And then no, and then you have to set your own objective. I'm okay. not going to set it for you. Okay. I just want to see progress. But you get the scorecards back. But every quarter, every quarter, I was going to have a call with each one of the CEOs, and we were going to review progress. And how did that go? Really well. 
the fact that they knew that they had to report to the client the progress and that they knew that at the end of 12 months I was going to publish the data was was a, a trigger a trigger for change um, so quarter after quarter we measure progress so after 12 months we went from forty uh, percent of the people working on the HP account being female to 60 on the management and senior management roles in many of the agencies we went from zero zero women zero in women in management posi- leadership positions wow. to fifty percent so that was what about people of color people of colors we move we move the needle but not to where we want it to tell you that that's the we we did a great job with women we didn't move the needle as much in, in terms of people of color there was two agencies BBDNO and Fred and Farid yeah. that actually achieved more than forty percent in our account um, but if you didn't attach metrics to it, it and a scorecard, it, it never would have happened. But, it, right? but it's, this is, again, we can't talk about diversity as a concept. If, if we believe that diversity is a business imperative, you have to treat it as a business objective. A business objective will have a number, will have very specific plan of actions, and you're going to record progress. And you're going to know, did I hit it or didn't I hit it? Well, here's the question about that, because we hear this a lot, that it's a business imperative, right? Anyone who looks at demographics or trends, especially just in America, would say, okay, it's a business imperative. We have to do that. When you look at corporate profits, they're doing okay. They've been going up. It doesn't feel like it's a business imperative if the people at the top are continuing to be rewarded for not making these kinds of efforts. If they don't feel it, where is that urgency coming from? The urgency in our particular company, the urgency comes from the top, comes from all, all of our senior management team, and and we're driving it. Each one of the departments. I'm one. The, the, the our, our chief legal counselor did the same thing that I did with the agencies with the with with the, the external legal um, companies. Mm-hmm. The same. And by the way, she put a clawback, which says, you know, I, I'm, I'm I will hold back. 10% of your fees if you don't if, if you don't provide me with people that work on my account that are representative of the communities that we that's serve. That's in the legal part. That's of in the, the legal department. So, so this is going to ask are other sections of HP yes. following this model yes. now? Yes. Are any other corporations doing this kind of thing that you well, know of? The um uh, again within within marketing Verizon did a, a very similar uh, initiative as well with scorecards. Yeah, Veri- Verizon has a, their own internal agency, so they were it, it's they were able to fill fill it f- from zero. Right. With 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 great great diverse talent, and Diego Scotti is the, the their CMO. He's doing a terrific job. Actually, he did something better than I did because I met with each one of the CEOs individually and he had them all together at the same time comparing comparing scorecards. Oh, that's smart. Which was yeah. which 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 so which You're going to do that next which, time. Which, uh, yeah. uh, for for the people of color absolutely <laughs> I, I I will I told him I'm going to steal that idea from you. Uh, so but, but but what I'm what I'm trying to say is that this requires change management meaning the top Senior, the, the meetings were with the CEOs. The meetings were not with the third level right. that was delegate. The meeting was with the CEO. It was his personal, in this case, his because most of them are men. His personal credibility was at stake. We, by the way, they set their own objectives. I didn't give them to them. It was sort of like, okay, this is reasonable, and by the way, this is what we're going to do, and and these are these are the specific plans of actions that we're going to we're going to take, mm-hmm. and it it requires that level of um, of of commitment and follow through to to change the dynamic. 
Um, but I guess not. So HP has done it and is doing it, right? You mentioned Verizon as another example. There isn't a terribly long list of companies you can look at and say, oh, yeah, all these places are really making great measurable strides towards achieving this thing that most people, at least in corporate America, seem to say, yes, there's consensus. This is something we value. Most people aren't attaching metrics, building a business plan. Why not? But again, it's like uh, like like with everything is, is in a process. One of the things that I have to say that I'm very encouraged is that now the ANA or Association of National Advertisers, that's where all the big uh, PNG, Unilever, the big names, um, uh, Bob Liodis, mm-hmm. uh, which is their president, made a call just at, at the end of last year saying for the first time, we need the scorecards. So um, I'm part of their executive committee and, and, and we are going to push this year to have in, in scorecards for the industry so that we can begin we need to build the business, the real business case, which is what I want to do for HP, which is, okay, now I have the data. Now I'm going to be able to establish clear direct correlations between a team that changed its composition and the results that that team achieved. Right. And, and it's a, you're going to have a straight line correlation or not. But well, so we, this is what I was going to ask. This is the crunch time now, that, right? This is where you're actually seeing, okay, did those changes lead to measurable business change too? So right? directionally, I will tell you, yes. Quantitatively, I, 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 now that I have five quarters of data, this is my objective for this year. Yeah. To be able to show, showcase, we did these changes. This is what this is what we were able to achieve. What are you seeing so far with the five quarters of data? So, 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 so far, the, well, Different people are entering at different moments, but directionally, when we've been able to change uh, a, a team composition, we're we're seeing better results. But it, but this is this requires. This is what I'm saying about the business imperative and 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 change management. To to change our industry, it has to be a holistic, systemic change. So, for example, if you're going to create advertising, right, the client writes the brief. The advertising agency comes up with the idea. Then the production house and the director brings that idea to life. Mm -hmm. And then you put it on the air. For us to be able to deliver the type of output that we're talking about, the totality of the business system needs to be diversified. The client, the agency, and the production meaning the every production step house. along the way every step along the needs way needs so, to be representative of the people that you're trying to get the product to that's right so we we did us we did the agencies and then on the production how on the production house standpoint we um i i found through a, one of those wonderful connections in twitter mm-hmm. this woman called alma hartel who is uh, is from israel now lives in la and, and she is a director and she decided to create a site where female directors could showcase their work because most of the most of the work in advertising goes to male directors yeah but i'm talking 90 percent um so well that's probably true across much of entertainment right and we see in hollywood all the time the number of female directors that's right so she created this it's it's called free the bid and 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 her principle was very simple it says Normally, if you're going to produce um, a film, you need three bids. Yeah. Make one bid be from a female director. Just one. You don't have to choose her. At least just make it there. So it's okay. So, so we committed to that. And I said, but 
she calls me and 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 she said well it will help me a lot if you were to uh write who are your female director fem favorite female directors and i said i'm a i am embarrassed to say that i don't know their names she said you shouldn't feel that bad i'm in the business i couldn't name 10. Wow. she said so i want to create this site so that so we this is the second year we're their number one sponsor mm -hmm. now they're they have more than 450 female directors we've used them in our productions and um and every time that we have a great client team which with diverse points of view an agency that has men women and people of color and then you're able to bring directors from free the bid the output the quality of the output has been outstanding well, let me ask you this though when you are making the case for diversification and you're saying it's a business imperative and it hasn't really hit their bottom line yet right how do you drive home that point like what what is it that you're telling people at the very top that they're protecting their businesses from what what is the urgency to them because if it's not affecting the bottom line on that day why would anyone in a smart business decision why would anyone say yeah we're going to completely change the way we've been doing things we're going to completely upend our staffing for this potential future problem well so um um in our business, you have some very, very specific numbers. 70 plus percent of all purchases are controlled by women. In our categories, 51% uh, of personal systems or computers are purchased by women. And on the case of uh, printers, 49% of the users are female. So these are very balanced. And when you looked at the numbers, revenue derived from women and derived from men, they're pretty much at the same, at the same sort of level. So yeah. that's sort of at the top. When it comes to the agencies and to the production house, he who controls the budget controls the output. So when a client said, this is what I want, this is what I want. Right. And therefore, that is the impetus for transformational change. And uh, the more clients that take a stand on this, the faster that the, the, the industry is going to transform itself both at the agency and as the production houses. That's why I'm so encouraged that if the ANA takes this as they're going to take it, that, that is going to bring such a pool of powerful clients all, all moving in the same direction, and it's going to create change. Is there something specific to this section of corporate America, advertising, marketing, communications? Is there something about the way this industry works that you think somehow makes it the place where a lot of that change will drive from? I, 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 don't, I don't know what to tell you because the numbers... Um, when it comes to, in, in the advertising world, when it comes to female creative directors. Yeah. The, uh, I mean, uh, you probably have heard of the 3% conference. At one point, it's, it's a, an association of women in mm. the United States that came to the conclusion several years ago that only 3% of the creative directors were women. Today, that number is 11%. 11% nothing. I mean, after more than six years, nothing. So the dynamics there are exactly the same as in any, as in any other, as in a, any other industry. Yeah. It, it, it takes clients to begin to demand this. And if, if it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, if you don't stretch people into those roles, they're never going to win the awards. They're never going to win the experience. They're never going to 
become the type of um, uh, of, of 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 creative uh, talent that we that we expect. Is there something even? Is there something even more basic about this? I mean, part of fixing a problem is diagnosing it in the first place, mm -hmm. right? So this is 2018, and you're sitting here sharing these horrifying numbers, really embarrassing numbers in terms of representation at that level. Yeah. Why is it so bad? Why is this so hard to fix? Oof. Um, habit, momentum, just the same the same thing. We're, 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 we are a microcosm of the... The, the the society in which in which we uh, in which we live, um, but I'm I'm encouraged by the fact that a bunch of change agents in the right places can make a big difference. And uh, but it's hard work. I, I, I'll tell you, even even within within my company, and and it 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 it, it has to be driven from the top. Um, when I was trying to get the right talent for the right jobs I said okay so I'm changing the profile of some of these jobs why because it's a more digital environment it's a more global environment it's a more analytical environment so mm -hmm. I need people that are digital masters uh, deep into analytics with global experience so I and I made rooms for those my own recruitment team mm -hmm. by the way most of them women will come with a slate of Nine men and one and, and one woman, and I will have to go, literally go back. I want a balanced slate, and that's just because they're used to doing things the way they've always been done. Y yeah, they have their they have their databases of talent that everybody has, and it's sort of it's easier to sh sort of reshuffle right. what you have and the history and the, all the analytics that you have than to go and find people in non traditional places. So I I had to go back three or four times saying, okay. Now it's two candidates say, I want a balanced slate, five and five. At one point in time, I said, you know what? Now I just want five women. So what about the people who will say, demanding, okay, for every one of those three bids, one should be a woman. I want a balanced slate means I want five men and five women. What about the people who will say, that's not fair. If the top 10 candidates aren't five women and five men, then setting up a quota system like that doesn't necessarily solve the problem. Well, the, 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 the only part that you're missing there is that the standards don't change. The standards and the experience, I, I just told you, I need people that are deep into analytics, I want people that are digital masters, and I want people that, uh, that, that, that have global experience. Find them. And I'm, uh, that, that, the standards will not come down just because you're a woman or you're a person of color, but the talent is there. We're not, we're, we're not going to the right places to look for them. At the same time, you're saying the change has to come from the top, right? You're in a senior leadership position. Your boss demands the same kind of change. There are a lot of places where the bosses aren't demanding. It's not, it, it's not an incredibly high imperative. They may pay lip service to it or have a coalition set up or what have you, but it's not the kind of business priority that you have set it up to be. In those kinds of places, how, how does that change happen? For the people who are trying to make it happen, what's your advice to them? You know, the, 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 I, I, I fundamentally believe that we are masters of our own destiny. And uh, even within environments where, I mean, it helps tremendously when you have a, a culture that, that uh, it thrives on, on something like diversity or something like sustainability. But y you can start with the things that you control. I mean, if you're if you have a team of two people, you 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 can begin 
to create those principles and 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 revolutions start by small groups of, of people that want to make a that want to make a change and they're able to prove that the model works so my and it's the same advice that I give my, with my people not just on diversity on anything mm -hmm. you know on those things that you control show that there's a different a new way of doing it and if it works you know success breeds success it, it's it, it's a fundamental principle of business so when you have a team that is performing better than the other ones so why why is it ah oh, well because they they're doing this or because they have this different tool or because they're analyzing the data differently or because the the capabilities of the people are different that that's my advice to uh, to anyone that is on, want to undertake any type of change whether it's diversity or anything else start small in those things that you can control for people who look up i mean a lot of this has to go with you know much of the recruitment efforts that are made towards diversifying staff happen at, at the entry level position which as you said yourself when you're just starting out in a job that is that is not what you're there for is to make that kind of change you just want to keep your job and you want to do well at your job and you want to learn how to do your job that's right it's at that senior level where that kind of change occurs and that's where much of the diversity is lacking and it's not just in corporate america right we're talking it's about everywhere. It. yeah in politics and finance and hollywood like this is culture wide in america and when most of the halls of power when most of the american institutions are run and controlled by white men telling someone you can change one of two people on your team in 2018 I, I agree that's not that inspiring a message, right? So how does that change happen if the people at the very top aren't invested in it? It's, it's, it's going to be very hard if the people at the top um, are not invested in it unless you're able to get critical mass in the, in, in the ranks and files. So it's either you're able to achieve critical mass by the ranks and files or you're able to convince one change agent in the, in, in the top management uh, structure, which sometimes happens. You've been able to achieve what a lot of people have not. You've actually got measurable success on this front in an incredible corporation, right? That's huge. Are there lessons that you've pulled from that that you think could be applied to some of the other American institutions, to politics, to Hollywood, to, to journalism, to anywhere? Are there things that you think, yeah, we can apply these other places and bring about the same kind of change? Well, so, so start, st start making it a business imperative. You need to um, establish very specific uh, scorecards and establish objectives. What gets measured gets done. And then once you have that, what gets published becomes your bond. So you have to publish that. Um, uh, you need to have uh, 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 the, the top management engaged, dr help help drive it, and 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 you have to make people completely accountable for those uh, for those results. And 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 you got to um, you got to focus on it and 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 be ready to step in when things are not when things are not working. You uh, write often about some of your missions and the things that you're working towards and at the end of last year uh you wrote an essay on togetherness yeah about why it should be a corporate mission uh not just a cultural one and you wrote i'll quote you here politicians around the globe may thrive on division and conflict to rally their bases big global brands cannot afford to do that what did you mean by that so um if you take a look at um the Pew Research Center did a study back in October 
and showcase that we are at a level of polarization in this country uh, like never before. Um, it, it's not unique to the United States. It's happening in places like uh, like uh, like England. That's that happening in many countries in in uh, in Europe. At the same time, you have um, the Edelman Trust Index that was just revealed at, at Davos shows the level of trust in politicians and institutions at all 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 time low. What I was referring to is that um, politicians whether it's here or anywhere, can win elections by going to their bases and by by preaching fear and and, and division. They can. Uh, why? Because their elections are every four or six years. When you have a big brand like ours, uh, or I was talking to the New York Times uh, earlier this morning, or, or a brand like, like the New York Times, you are earning your trust and preference every day. So, Brands cannot afford to be device, device, big brands cannot have, they should stand for those values that unite us all. What are those values? We needed to figure it out because like everybody else, we were um, taken back by the results of the election. One of those things that you say, my God, maybe I am not thoroughly understanding my, cons- my, my consumer. So we did Did a, you have that concern uh, after the election? Uh, absolutely. Like, like most people. Um, uh, Why? Because all the polls, all the data, all the stuff that marketers used to uh, uh, were were leading in one direction and then the results were were different and now we understand why and all all, all that type of stuff. But we wanted to understand the divide, red versus blue, but we also wanted to understand the things that people still have in common if if there is such a thing. Mm -hmm. What we found was uh, beautiful and not surprising, but 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 encouraging in terms that it is still there. Basically, we all want a better world for our kids. We all want our kids to have a good education and good opportunities to succeed. We all want our kids to live in communities that are clean and safe and where people help each other. And finally, we all believe that family, whatever your definition of family is, is the bond that binds communities and life. If brands can leverage that message and encourage people to reach out, to build bridges, to have authentic conversations like the one that we're having today, um, I think we'll be able to deliver our numbers in a very authentic way and at the same time help people do something meaningful. I can't think of a better way to end this conversation than on a lesson that we can all use at this time. Antonio Lucio, thank you so much for coming by. Oh, I enjoyed this. We should do it more often. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Uncomfortable. If you like what we're doing, take a minute, leave us a rating and a quick review. It helps others to find these conversations and we really just want to hear what you think. Plus, we've made it easy. Just click on the link in the description of this episode. If you have an idea for a show topic or a guest, leave it in the reviews or tweet at me, at Navazistan. That's N-A-W-A-Z-I-S-T-A-N, or use the hashtag UncomfortableTalk. Uncomfortable is a production of ABC News. New episodes post every two weeks on Tuesday mornings. I'm Amna Navaz. Thanks for listening.